How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Start your engines. It's time to talk about all things racing. NASCAR, IndyCar, sports cars, and Formula One. This is the Final Inspection Show, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Now, here's your host, Steve Zockey. Show. I am Steve Zaki, and which is brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway. Uh, Great Lakes Dragway is open uh, for racing. They had to cancel the Nitrous Brawl. Uh, they're going to do the Nitrous Brawl with some weather coming in tonight. They did um, uh, open up the track, uh, so if you want to pull up into the, uh, into the water box, do some burnouts, uh, have a beer, enjoy some barbecue, whatever you want to do there, feel free to. And if it does get rained out, they'll give you a rain check to come back for another day. So pretty cool stuff. And then don't forget, uh, coming up June 26th and 27th, of course, it is the out-of-sight drags. All the pre-1960 vintage drag racing at its finest. Really looking forward to that. That should be really, really cool. So I love the old uh, slingshots and and the old dragsters and the gassers and whatnot there. Looking forward to that. Uh, Joining me on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, my trusty side quick sidekick of course it is the polish pipe bomb jeff Verlaski. how you doing sir oh fantastic steve how are you good good so a lot of news i mean it's interesting uh the the series across the board and auto racing is picking up we got kyle larson winning everything in indiana during midget car week down there we got uh, nascar running we have uh, indycar coming to road america in a couple of weeks and we got all sorts of news out there and uh, i think the news I kind of hit the mainstream sports the biggest was the Dale Earnhardt going to the Hall of Fame, wasn't it? Yeah, it sure did. I heard you on the big show uh, weekdays 2 to 6 here on the fan. And uh, I know that Sparky, the uh, the old host of uh, of this fine program, was is not a fan of, uh, of Dale Jr. getting into the Hall of Fame, especially on the first ballot. Um, you know, am I surprised that he got in? Of course not. No, it, it's certainly a love affair with the media in NASCAR and and, and whatnot with uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And I understand, why, you know, there's a couple of things I want to kind of walk through uh, a couple of these gentlemen. I mean, Dale Earnhardt Jr., it's not, I don't want people to just look at, 
okay, all his wins is two Xfinity championships, Daytona 500 wins. But Dale is is kind of is uh, kind of bigger than the sport, isn't he, uh, Jeff? Yeah, he is. You know, he was definitely a uh, a huge part of uh, you know the latest um, peak of popularity of NASCAR and. You know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, you ask any, you ask a thousand random people in, in downtown Milwaukee, name one NASCAR driver, you're going to get at least a hundred Dale Jr. Um, so, you know, he, he definitely is bigger than the sport because of his name. Now, obviously you listen to the program for a long time, you know, that, uh, I was not a fan of, uh, his early retirement, the, uh, concussion you know excuse and all that kind of stuff that uh that he gave i prefer to have uh, the biggest star in my sport have an absolute love and desire for it and i don't think that dale had that behind the wheel now he's done a lot off the track you know both um on the museum side uh team owner the podcast that he does all that kind of stuff so uh, you know, broadcasting and all that, but, you know, so, but none of those individually is would, you know, if, if it were me or you that did any, that had, you know, the same broadcast career as Dale has so far, or the same, you know, um, curator of the museums and stuff like that, uh, we wouldn't have gotten in. Yeah, it's certainly true. It is, um, um, Big news, of course, Dale Earnhardt Jr. also going in, going in, but also going in, of course, Red Farmer and Mike Stefanik. And Red Farmer is one of these guys, some fans might be aware of him, they've heard of him, they might not know much about him. But Red Farmer is an interesting uh, character. He, Once again, he's one of these guys, he's almost bigger than the sport. Part of the, it was, he's a, one of the original guys from the Alabama gang. And the Alabama gang was, of course, Red Farmer, Bobby Allison, and Donnie Allison. I think it was 1962. I think it was Cal Petty mentioned this on the NBC NASCAR show. Uh, I think they had uh, like 120 races, and they won like 106 of them uh, throughout the Southeast in 1962 between Red Farmer, Donnie Allison, and Bobby Allison. With I think it was Red Farmer actually winning the most. Now, Red Farmer it drove some cup races, drove a lot of sportsman races, Never really uh, chased the circuit, would kind of cherry pick, would race at Daytona and, and race here and there, but he was a short track guy. And he helped a lot of people along in the sport, including drivers like uh, Neil Bonnet, uh, Davey Allison, and others. And I remember the last time I saw Red Farmer, and the last time I saw Davey Allison for that fact, and a lot of listeners may remember this, was, was when NASCAR uh, returned to the Milwaukee Mountain in 1993. Uh, it was Harry Gant, uh, among others, including Red Farmer and Davey Allison. In fact, if I recall, I think it's uh, Davey Allison's second from last race was at the Bush race at Milwaukee. And him and uh, Red Farmer there, and they were they were at the hip all weekend. Uh, wherever uh, Davey was, Red was there, and they were uh, definitely teammates, uh, working together, doing car setups and whatnot. And that's one of the things Red was really known for, getting the most of, out of a car, being able to set up a car, and uh, when they had the rain delay or, thun or lightning delay last week, they, they ran that Davy Allison thing. And, and this is one thing that's kind of missing with some of the modern drivers. They talk about Davy, 
who was uh, you know a crew member basically. He worked at the car, he worked on the cars, and it was that generation of drivers. Of course, you know Red Farmer and those guys, and Dale Earnhardt Sr. But also the probably the last generation that really did that was Davy Allison, Mark Martin, of course Alan Kowicki. A lot of the guys that came through the uh, ASA ranks and uh, with uh, Davey with the ARCA ranks and that. And, uh, they, I mean, they was a crew guy. He wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And then the other one was Mike, St- uh, Mike Stefanik. And Mike Stefanik is one of these modified guys. And if you're not a big fan, uh, if you follow all uh, types of racing, you might not be aware of him. Maybe you do through the Bush or uh, Truck Series. But he was a, just a monster when it came to the, the Northeast running the uh, Modifieds and won nine championships and really was an uh, incredible driver and is legendary. Uh, when you go up to you know New, New Hampshire, those short tracks up there in Connecticut and whatnot, and really a sad situation. He uh, was killed in a plane crash last year, and the most tragic part of it was a mechanic left a, uh, a rag in the engine, which caused the engine to cut out. So very tragic there. Yeah, both of those guys uh, obviously well deserving of uh, of getting enshrinement uh, as well. Uh, what about Ralph Seagraves? Well, Ralph Seagraves is a lot of people don't know him. If you go to Daytona, I think they have the, the section of the uh, Daytona uh, grandstands named for him. And Ralph Seagraves, I, I would put down as probably one of the top ten most important people in NASCAR ever. And the reason for that is uh, Ralph Seagraves uh, went to Junior Johnson. Um, I think it was in 70 or 71. They banned tobacco advertising on TV. And R.J. Reynolds, you know, this is a company, you know, have you ever seen Mad Men? I mean, they were a Madison Avenue company with, with advertising. You take away the television, you know, where are we going to spend this money? We have millions and millions and millions of dollars. But Ralph Seagraves went to Junior Johnson, and he was going to sponsor the car. And Junior Johnson knew how big the company was and understood what this could mean for the sport. And once again, showing Junior Johnson, you know, how certain moves and whatnot, unselfishness can really propel the sport. He said, no, you need to sponsor the series. And that's what they did. And basically, they, they, they went to the modern era. They got rid of the dirt tracks, to uh, which some people did not like. Uh, but at that time, the NASCAR schedule had, you know, probably 60 or 75 uh, races on it. And so what they did was they, they trimmed down the short tracks and became more of a modern uh, what you see today with, with the paved tracks and tracks, you know, the short tracks at that time, you know, like Martinsville and, and North Wilkesboro and whatnot. But Ralph Seagrave was, was the guy behind that and, and managed that, uh, managed the, the account with NASCAR, which just put so much money not only into the cup series but the short track series and and and, and everything else and you know when I, at the time when they pulled the tobacco money out of the out of motorsports i guess we really didn't know how much of a hole that was going to leave and and uh, jeffrey we can see that today how much uh, advertising is down since they pulled the the, the tobacco money out yeah, and, you know, beyond just the advertising, you know, like, like you touched on, you know, uh, they helped the lower series. They gave money to individual tracks uh, to help improve facilities and, you know, to increase purses on, on these races to to make, you know, try to make it a uh, where it could be 
just a, a viable living for, for some of these guys. You know, R.J. Reynolds as a whole and, and Seagraves in particular, you know, they're the stamp that they made across the world of motorsports cannot be, you know, it, it just, you, you can't fathom how big of, uh, of just a, a mark that they have left on the motorsports industry. And it's very sad that, um, you know, that, that it went away and, you know, say what you want, uh, you know, about, about tobacco and stuff like that. And obviously everybody in the world knows somebody who's, had or has passed from cancer and all that but um you know i'm i'm sure everybody in the world that knows or or has had somebody pass due to alcoholism and you know you still see the the beer cars and clint boyer was driving the jack daniels car for a while and all that kind of stuff you know uh I know, you know, you want to talk about marketing the kids and stuff like that and that's, you know, a completely separate issue but you know, I think um, the, the effects are still being felt with the loss of, of tobacco money into uh, into racing in general, and it's not just NASCAR; it's also IndyCar with with Philip Morris. Yeah, and and you know, as with any Hall of Fame, there's politics involved. I'm I'm involved on a couple of nomination committees for uh, for a couple of racing Hall of Fames, and there there's certain criteria that that. that you know, let's face it, it is part of the voting process. One thing is is you need that, that curb appeal. You need people, if you're having a dinner or whatnot, you want to bring a draw. Well, that's certainly that. That's it with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, there's also the age factor. Red Farmer is pushing 90 years old. You know, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Well, should he gone in this year? Well, there I can, I can think of a couple other guys that maybe should have went in uh, before him. However, he is 90 years old. So that or, or pushing ninety. So that's and a fact. it's nice to see that they actually let a guy in before he dies. Exactly. You know, it, it, it just gets so tiring when you hear, um, uh, like in baseball, you know, Ron Santo wasn't alive to to see himself get into the Hall of Fame, and every single year when when they were announcing the, the members of Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, and you heard Ron Santo talk about it, you could just listen and hear his heartbreak every single year so it's about time that they they get somebody who's deserving and who's up in age um in while they're still alive to enjoy it yeah the one guy that's also getting up there in years uh, and hopefully he can get a next year is herschel mcgriff he's also pushing 90 and he's another guy whose whose career lasted pretty much from 1950 to just a couple of years ago. Was primarily a Winston West driver, a West Coast driver. Ran a, a lumberyard, <clears throat> excuse me, in in Oregon, but also drove. Uh, had a couple of good runs in the Cup Series and and had an ex ex uh, Richard Petty uh, Dodge Charger in the mid 70s and was quite uh, was quite swift in that. Had some good results there. So uh, Herschel McGriff is one I would like to see him in the next year. Um, the one guy who I really thought needs to get into is Ralph Moody. Ralph Moody is, uh, you know, many, many, was a car builder, but not only that, was also a racer. Now, granted, this is a NASCAR, but he swept the stock car races at Milwaukee in 1957. No easy matter, with, especially back then. Uh, worked with uh, Pete DiPaolo in the Ford program in the late 50s, and then, uh, and then partnered up with John Holman 
And he's actually in the movie Ford versus Ferrari. He's actually one of the characters in there. He was at the rival, the rival GT40 team at uh, Daytona and Sebring that they show in the movie, uh, the home in the Moody car. Uh, just a uh, lot of lot of wins, a lot of championships uh, through Ralph Moody. Was involved in uh, the sport for a very long time, as was uh, Banjo Matthews. And Banjo Matthews was a—I mean, the ultimate Southern boy. Was a driver, uh, retired, became a builder, and all the greats drove from whether it was Kelly Yarbrough, Donnie Allison, AJ Foyt—they all drove for uh, um, Banjo Matthews. And then there's of course suitcase Jake Elder, and then Harry Hyde, who it was uh, a character in the Days of Thunder. The Robert Duvall character is based on on Harry Hyde, so. And then Larry Phillips, he got, of course, the short track guy out of Missouri who ran up at Milwaukee with USAC and, and did quite well right off the bat. Uh, he's kind of like the, the the Dick Trickle of the central states, I guess you could call him. Won a huge amount of races. And then, of course, uh, uh, there's also Neil Bonnet that was considered. Jeff Burton, Carl Edwards, Ricky Rudd, Kurt Schauberding. Eh. If he wasn't with the three car, he wouldn't even be considered. And if you listen to the Chocolate Myers broadcast, you, you might understand why I feel that way. So, uh, interesting stuff. Janet Guthrie is another one that needs to get in. Not not necessarily on her results, but just what she did for the sport. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see who gets in next year. Any final thoughts on, on this before we take a break, Jeff? No, you know, there's people on the list that did not get in that I, I don't find deserving. You mentioned Shelmer Dean. I'll mention Ricky Rudd. And I'll mention Carl Edwards. When I think Carl Edwards, I... All I think is a mouthful of pearly white teeth. I don't think uh, I don't think Hall of Famer, and I know he's won a decent amount of races and stuff like that. But um, you know, unless we're going to turn this into the Hall of Good instead of the Hall of Fame, uh, I don't. There's no way in hell I'd put Carl Edwards in there. Okay. Interesting point. Uh, we got Talladega this week. That's what we're, what we're going to be talking next on the final inspection show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. And don't forget, the first lot, the first leg of horse racing's Triple Crown is today. Don't miss the live, the Belmont Stakes live today at 3.30 on the fan, a radio.com sports station. As we get closer to your favorite sports teams playing, you can count on the fan to keep you updated on the latest with the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball, a radio.com sports station. Jeff, are you all set for Talladega? Yes, I am. Father's Day weekend, Talladega weekend. Does it get any better? Yeah, we got two races today. Of course, we got the ARCA race this afternoon, and after that, the Xfinity Series. And then tomorrow, we have the Cup Series. And what, what's what's some of the things you think about uh, when, you, when you think about Talladega? Well, obviously, it's the high speeds and, and the huge wrecks. And... Um, you know, the, if, I'm sure if you go on YouTube and just uh, just right. type in the search bar uh, Talladega Rex, and uh, you know that it's enough to to sh- blow your mind, make you shake your head, and uh, 
and be thankful that uh, you're just a fan and you're not behind the wheel like some of these guys. Right. And the the one thing I remember as a kid was, I think it was the spring race, they went for like 10 years or something without a repeat winner. And you had so many oddball winners that would come through and win the race, whether it was James Hilton, uh, I believe uh, um, Richard Childress won one there, uh, as well as, uh, let's see here, we're going through the way back machine here. Uh, um, the 47 car, Ron Bouchard and, and others, you know, just, it was always a, you, you always wanted to tune in cause you didn't know who was going to win. Even, uh, Phil Parsons won his one and only cup race there. So a, a lot of, a lot of neat, uh, surprises and, and, and unexpected things, whether it's the shocking, like, uh, uh, Bobby Allison almost getting to the stands in 87, isn't it? Oh yeah. You know, and, and like you said, that's, that's one of the fun parts because, you know, the restrictor plate tracks is a time where the underfunded teams can go toe-to-toe with the big boys. You know, as long as they're able to sit there and draft and, and make some right moves and have a whole lot of luck on their side, they can sit there and run neck-and-neck neck with the teams that have all the money. And, uh, you know, the, the list of, of first-time winners at Talladega is huge. And... Uh, you know, it's always it's always a crapshoot because, you know, you can show up with, with the best car and finish in last uh, just as easy as you can winning the race. And, uh, you know, it's part of what makes it fun. And, um, you know, it, uh, it, it makes it a tough track to pick because instead of 15 drivers with a realistic chance to win, now all of a sudden you got 30. Yeah, and I and, wouldn't uh, be picking Greg Galding, or I wouldn't be picking right. Timmy Hill, you know. So that's why I eliminated a few. But uh, you know, there's there's a uh, the field is a lot more wide open than it is on most tracks. Yeah, even going back to the first race in 1969, there's some controversy with uh, they're having issues with tires and blistering and whatnot, and a lot of the drivers uh, boycotted it. And uh, Bill Francina actually got in the car, put a helmet on and ran some uh, laps at 180 miles an hour, said, it's fine for me, we're going to have a race. And there's a bunch of Grand American cars, which were, were pony cars, which ran uh, with some of the races back then, and also ran on the road courses, which Richard Childress was a part of. And so they ran the Grand American cars, which were like uh, short base wheelbase cars, like Mustangs and Camaros. And, um, and Richard Brickhouse won the race, over um uh guy was Ramos Stott in 1969 but there are some other ones of course James Hilton one of the coolest cars ever the Pop Cola uh Mercury won a race and actually it was Dick Brooks uh, for when I was a kid I always mixed up Dick Brooks and Richard Childress for some reason but Dick Brooks well, I'll was tell you this, the winner Steve, you just showed your age because uh, <laughs> you just said uh Dick Brickhouse and you didn't giggle even a little bit and mm-hmm. uh you know that it goes to show how either uh, much younger I am than you, or it's just completely immature. I can even say Dick Trickle without giggling. <laughs> uh, well, see, there's one of us. Uh, Bobby Hillen Jr. in '86, the aforementioned Phil Parsons, um, and then uh, Brian Vickers in 2006, and then of course the one I, I, I was really cheering for was Brad Keselowski, and he was getting his first win in 2009. So. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know, just a lot of different storylines. Uh, you know, anybody's got a chance to be a hero. 
you know, it's it's part of what um, you know makes uh, Talladega and Daytona exciting. Is it you know pure racing? Absolutely not. Is it great racing? You know, for the most part, I don't think so. I don't think going 220 miles an hour, you know, uh, going 220 door to door is is exciting and all. But you know, when it's huge packs, just you know, neck and neck running, you know, pretty much even. It, uh, you know, it's not that exciting for me. But you know, the fact that anybody can win, and it's interesting to see over the years how the Racing strategy on the restrictor plate tracks have changed. You know, it went from being the best car. Now it doesn't matter if you qualify on a pole or you start last. You still got, you know, the same chance of winning. But, uh, you know, now all of a sudden the strategy is the manufacturers. So all the Ford cars will line up together, all the Toyotas together, all the Chevys together. You know, it's just it, it's interesting to see how the racing strategy has uh, evolved over the years when it comes to the restrictor plate tracks. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show on Sports Radio 105.7 FM. The fan Steve Zaki, along with the Polish pipe bomb Jeff Orlowski. And one final question here before we take a break. And uh, we're going to have George Phillips on coming up next from oilpressure.com from uh, Nashville. And I want to get him on and I want to talk about the uh, the race, the upcoming race next year. Uh, for the Cup Series at Nashville. Jeff, can you hold on? Can you hold over for that one, too? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. And then uh, is NASCAR missing a little bit with, okay, we got Martin Truex on the pole with uh, Denny Hamlin second, and we got Bush and Johnson. I mean, could could they have, would have been a little more compelling if they mixed up and inverted the field a little more than just 12? Yeah, like I said, instead of just drawing the top 12 uh, drivers for the top 12 positions, just throw everybody's name into a hat. And, uh, you know, that way Timmy Hill can get on the pole or, uh, you know, J.J. Yaley can be in the front row, something like that. Uh, you know, it would be it would be a lot more compelling. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're only looking at five, ten laps before it shakes out how it normally is going to shake out anyway. So, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, just because, with the you know, maybe if you're at Martinsville or something like that, but, you know, if you're at, at 95% of the tracks on, on the NASCAR circuit, you know, it'll take you 10, 15 uh, laps to figure out who's got a good car and who's got the, the right equipment and who's going to the back and going to stay there. So, uh, yes, they, I, I do think they dropped the ball. Yeah, you know, and if it's a situation where they have a young driver who maybe is only making, you know, only has a couple starts, they can also, you know, just give him a pass and say, no, no, you know, you have to have a minimum of 10 starts or whatever it is and start him from the back of the pack. I mean, that's fine. But, yeah, I think think it would have really made a little more, I would have given him a little more news, you know, kind of like, hey, did you hear was on the poll, you know, whether it's Timmy Hill or Joey Gase or whoever, you know, it would be kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. It, uh, it would have made the, uh, the the draft or whatever you want to call it, the the hat drawing, uh, the bingo, uh, it would have made it must-see TV every single week to find out where your favorite driver uh, is starting. And now it's just, well, I'll read the paper, uh, you know, on, on Friday right. and figure out where my guy is. Sounds good. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we're going to talk to George Phillips from oilpressure.com and find out what's latest in Nashville and uh, the impending NASCAR race there next year on the Final Inspection Show. 
This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove. On 105.7 FM, The Fan. Inspection, Chelsea Zaki, along with Jeff Orlowski, and joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, it is George Phillips from OilPressure.com, and we're talking Nashville and the impending Cup race next year. Welcome to the show, George. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you having me. So, uh, explain uh, for those who might not be familiar with it, because it's been it's been a few years since we 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 had a race down there, whether it's Indy cars or NASCAR. Explain to us the tale of two tracks at Nashville. Well, um, I, that's probably a full show in itself. Um, <laughs> the the old fairground speedway, which is a half mile banked oval, um, similar to Bristol, uh, not banked quite as steeply as Bristol, but it's a track uh, right in the heart of Nashville. It's uh, obviously it sits on the fairgrounds. But uh, it's an old, I mean, it's a very historic track. Uh, I believe it was built in 1904, uh, so it's actually older than Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And um, NASCAR used to race there for years uh, in, in Cup. I uh, believe 1984 was the last year they did. But uh, Daryl Waltrip got his start on that track. Uh, Sterling Marlin, uh, Cuckoo Marlin. Uh, lots, um, I'd say Bobby Hamilton, Bobby Hamilton Jr., they all raced at the track. Uh, they came up on that track. So it's a very historic track. Um, the, I'm, I'm not sure how, I mean, the stands are, I think, I think the stands probably hold about 5,000 people. So it, it would be interesting to see them try to have a cup race there today. Mm-hmm. Um, 5,000 may be a little low, but still, it's not, a, the stands are not very big. Um, so then in 2001, the national super speedway was built out in Gladeville, Tennessee, which is between Lebanon and Murfreesboro, if you know Tennessee geography at all. And basically suffice it to say, it's not, it's not in downtown Nashville. It is not even in Nashville or Davidson County. It is about 45 miles, 35 to 45 miles from downtown Nashville. It's a hall. Um, why Dover, Dover is built by um, uh, Dover Motorsports, same people that own the, the Monster Mile. And they um, put this track out in the middle of nowhere. I think they looked at the Kansas Speedway and thought, if we build it, they will come. And they were expecting things to build up all around it. Well, it didn't happen. Uh, there's nothing out there. It's just, it's in a very, very remote area and it never really took off. Although it did actually support the, um, IndyCar race they had every year from 01 to 08. And also, uh, they had some, uh, ARCA races and then, uh, Bush, Xfinity, whatever it's called at the time, Nationwide probably raced there twice a year as well as the trucks. So, um, that's a that's a history of motorsports in Nashville in in, uh, in a couple of minutes. Yeah, it's interesting uh, when Dale Earnhardt uh, Jr. 
um, you know, did his podcast on it, and he was like, oh, my God, they picked the wrong track. They should be going to the fairgrounds. That's the better track for entertainment, as he said. Uh, it's a short track. It's uh, uh, racier, and, uh, you know, not everybody likes the Nashville track because it's concrete and whatnot. But the issue with the the original, with the fairgrounds track, is they would need to put a lot more infrastructure in it, and plus it's part of the fairgrounds. And we, anybody who lives in Milwaukee or the in the southeast Wisconsin, they know all the issues that having a racetrack on fairgrounds uh, can cause and, whatnot. Yeah, and and there are the same issues. Uh, I'm vaguely familiar with uh, the Milwaukee Mile and the fairgrounds there, and they're pretty much the same issues that there are here. Um, I. When I first heard this, this literally came out of nowhere. No, no one was even talking about it in town, and then just boom, one day it hit. It, it hit on Twitter one night, and I, when I first heard it, I thought I'll believe it when I see it. I just really thought that this was a ploy that NASCAR is using because things had gotten to a, a stalemate with the fair board and the city council here, and I just figured this was being used as a bargaining chip. And then, lo and behold, I think it sounds like it's a done deal. Yeah, well, uh, we're glad that um, that it's back on the schedule. And, uh, you know, I think that they, they dropped the ball. And, you know, obviously, you guys uh, both touched on, you know, the politics involved when you have a, uh, a racetrack at, at a state fairgrounds. But, you know, I think they built it too far away from Nashville to – you know, one of the biggest draws, uh, you know, for me, one my favorite, one of my favorite cities to to visit is Nashville. Uh, the people are great. The the food is great. Live music everywhere. It's so much fun. And I think that um, you know they sat there and they and they put it. If they would have put it just ten miles away, I think it would have it would have sold a whole lot better. And um, it would you know it'd be a lot bigger and uh, probably wouldn't have fallen off the schedule. Yeah, I agree. And, and and trust me, the location is not the only mistake that they've made with that track. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, it's a concrete track that which causes uh, causes problems. That was caused problems with IndyCar. I mean, that was the only concrete surface they raced on. Firestone, which is also based in Nashville, um, had to build a, a special tire just for that track. Um, it's a it's an odd size, one point three three miles. And but it's a very narrow groove. Um, I'm not name dropping here, but uh, I, I shared a um, uh, shuttle at Barber Motorsports Park one year for the IndyCar race down there. I shared it with Al Lunzer Jr. And I was just talking to him about that about the track in Nashville, and he said, "Well, if they had only built that track wider, it could have been a lot better." But he said uh, it's about a one and a half cruise race track, and it's just it's it's going to be a parade, no matter no matter what the surface is. So um, the the size of the track, the location, the the concrete is just not a great facility. Uh, I mean, well, the facility itself, the infrastructure is uh, wonderful. I, I always enjoy going there, but uh, just because it was a race in my hometown, not. Uh, not necessarily because it was such an exciting race. It was just it was more just an event. Well, hopefully NASCAR, you know, with what they've done with, uh, you know, PJ1 and the different traction compounds and 
Uh, you know, there were some years they were, you know, dragging the tires and stuff like that to uh, try to widen the groove in, on certain tracks. Hopefully they can come up with something like that where it would work and, and they would put on a, a hell of a show because, you know, I'll tell you that uh, next year, hopefully when, when everything is, is back to normal and everything is wide open and all that again, uh, that's going to be a, a race I'm, I plan on road tripping to, absolutely. And, uh, and of course, uh, you haven't mentioned it, but I'm sure you've heard that um, suddenly the week after that race was announced, then it uh, it was announced that, well, it hasn't been announced, but word has gotten out that they're way into negotiations about uh, the street ra- doing a street race here in downtown Nashville for IndyCar. Um, I which is odd because I've heard it on through all the IndyCar media, but I've never heard or seen one single thing in the national media about that race, which is which I think is very odd. It is interesting. Hey, I want to come out of left field with this one, uh, George, and we're talking George Phillips with OilPressure.com. Uh, are you a horse racing fan? Do you have any Belmont picks? Um, I. I, I always watch the Triple Crown races. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't. I, I can't give you one name of a race of a horse in the race today. My wife and I do plan on watching it, but um, so far as anything about it, I do know this race is this Belmont is shorter than most of them. Um, I think they've shortened it just because the horses have had so much inactivity. But other than that, uh, I'd be lying if I said I'm a big horse racing fan. All right, I'll tell you what. Um, uh, Jeff has a pick. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, well, I'm I'm kind of of uh, of the you know the same ilk. I, I'm not a huge horse racing fan. I love the Triple Crown, but I'm a degenerate gambler. So give me uh, Doctor Post. <laughs> uh, you know he comes. Uh, he start. He's got the third uh, third gate uh, for the starting position. You know the odds are fairly low on him. I want to say it's five to one, but. Uh, you know, there's there's money to be made. All right, I'm gonna go with the same pick, Doctor Post. About, but um, I'll 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 give you Doctor Post. I'll take Tis the Law, and I think for George, since he has the uh, OilPressure.com, we should give him Pneumatic. I like that. That's yeah. Great. Okay, I'll go with that. Pneumatic. Yeah, there pneumatic you go. For George. Play so, that in the trifecta, and uh, yeah. all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, the three of us won't have to work next week. Right. Yeah, that's uh, right. In fact, in fact, I like that at Fort Trifecta. Uh, Doctor Post, Tisdalaw, and the pneumatic. So there you go. George, what's the latest at OilPressure.com? Um, actually, you mentioned Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, what I wrote about yesterday. Normally, I, I write about IndyCar exclusively, but I did venture off into NASCAR land a little bit yesterday and and wrote an article about um um. I don't think of the title of it. Basically, uh, uh, what defines a Hall of Fame career? Because I know some people were saying that Dale Jr. did not really merit election into the Hall of Fame, uh, the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And even though his stats don't scream Hall of Fame, I took the approach that uh, for all the things he has done for the sport out, out of the car, uh, I feel like, yes, he does merit um, being in the Hall of Fame. I, I feel like he is racing's version today of A.J. Foyt and Mario Andretti in the 60s. 
right, uh, okay, getting back to uh, to the track in Nashville real quick. Is there a lot of public support for for that race? For the NASCAR race? Uh, yes. yes. And uh, actually, locally, I think from those that aren't real race fans, but locally, uh, oddly enough, people seem to be more excited that they're going to the super speedway than they're going to be doing it at the fairgrounds. Hmm. Wow. Kind of the opposite of uh, of the genuine, uh, you know, genuine uh, or you know, uh, assumed position of NASCAR fans everywhere. That's that's interesting. Well, I, I think they take the approach that even though it's a long drive out there, it's a lot easier to park and get in and out of than it is going to the fairgrounds. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, very good, guys. Appreciate it. George Phillips, oilpressure.com. Jeff Orlowski, the Polish pipe bomb. Appreciate it, guys. Coming up next, we're going to have three questions with Larry. Coming up next on the Final Inspection Show. Steve Zaki on the air. Joining me, of course, is Larry Janicek from wonderful Pewaukee. Larry, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, doing really well, Steve. Thank you. So what's, uh, I know you're, you're, I want to be, before we get into the uh, questions and everything, uh, the dirt uh, open wheel midgets and whatnot, sprint cars, Kyle Larson has kind of taken over uh, social media and uh, the news, hasn't he, lately? Oh, my God, this guy's so hot, it's unbelievable. He's just dominating in the midget week. He didn't win last night, but he finished mm-hmm. second. It's just been just unbelievable how many races he's run. In a, I think it's uh, eight counting uh, sprint car races. He swept a weekend doubleheader World of Outlaws at Knoxville last weekend. Mm-hmm. He's just on the terror. He certainly is. And, of course, we, you know, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't, condone what he said and all of that, but we certainly believe in redemption on the final inspection show. So looking forward to, for Kyle to get his career back on track. Uh, we, we play three questions with Larry and Larry kind of throws out three questions. I've not been prepped on these and uh, they kind of cover everything in the world of racing. So what's the first one you got today, Larry? Well, uh, already today you've covered twice the election or, or the selection of Dale Jr. to be inducted into the next class of the Hall of Fame for NASCAR. And that means that there will be six father-son combinations in that Hall of Fame uh, as soon as Dale is inducted. And uh, can you name them? Six father-son combinations. Well, you got, um, of course, Petty, Lee, and Richard. And, And do we have Davey and Bobby? Yes. All right. And then let's see here. There's, um, That'd be the Allisons. Yeah. Uh, right. Is it not Buddy and Buck Baker, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. And then, of course, and we have Earnhardt. Uh, yep. Now there's uh, one more driver, father-son combination, and the other one is uh, uh, not a driver. Oh, that's the Bill, Bill Francis Jr. and Sr. Right, the Francis, Bill and Bill okay. Jr., I got one left. And here. Uh, one more. Uh, let's see here. 
Uh, Bay and Eric Darnell. <laughs> no, no. No. Uh, both were TV guys after they retired. Both won uh, NASCAR uh, Premier Series championships. Oh, Dale and Ned Jarrett. You got it, buddy. Yep. Yep. Uh, one interesting thing that I I saw about that uh, selection of Dale Jr., I believe he got right around 76% of the votes from the panel. And I'm, I'm not mistaken, in order to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, you have to have at least seventy-five percent, right? Uh, so he he just barely he barely got over that. Now, I don't know that that come, I, evidently. I, I'm not sure if that comes into play with the NASCAR Hall of Fame. You have to have a certain percentage or just the highest. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, don't even start me on the Baseball Hall of Fame, who does not have oh, yeah. Rose. Pete Rose in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but they have Ty Cobb, who is a racist and once punched an armless man. So go figure. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, All my right, second question, Steve, is, is also about NASCAR. Uh, it's been announced recently that the NASCAR All-Star Race will be held this year for the first time at Bristol Motor Speedway. That uh, All-Star Race was started in 1985, and had uh, always previously been held at Charlotte Motor Speedway, except in 1986 it went and was held at Atlanta. Now, do you know what all three tracks have in common? And it's not the size and it's not the surface. That's the ownership. Right? Pardon me? It's it's the ownership. They're all owned by the same. Yeah. Exactly. Speedway Motors. Smith. Okay, uh, next one is uh, recently Steve Schnuck, S-H-U-N-C-K, who I believe is an acquaintance of yours, mm-hmm. posted, a, posted a fact concerning the 1969 Indy 500 front row starters. The three starters did something for the last time in that race. The three of them. Well, I know uh, they always talk about it. it was actually Aldo Andretti who sat in for Mario because Mario got burned in a uh, practice crash a couple of days before, so he didn't want oh, to be in the in picture. There. No, yeah, no. so it's Aldo Andretti in the photo. But are they actually sitting in the car? Yes, it was. Uh, uh, it had to do with what they uh, did uh, uh, in the race. Okay, very good. And of course, Steve Shunk is the uh, does PR and, and press. And uh, for Borg Warner, who, of course, is a part of the Borg Warner Trophy at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So very dedicated fellow and knows his history, too. So uh, tip of the hat to Steve. And, Larry, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Well, We're perfect well, on time. You, you got one you, more real quick? No, you didn't get the answer. The actual answer is it was the last time the front row starters all wore open-face helmets. Oh, okay, yeah, because following year... Uh, I think Big Al and Rutherford had uh, full-face helmets. I, I know you're going to have uh, Brian Kapinski on. I do have a question mm-hmm. if you find time for him. I'd like to okay. know what uh, his answer to this would be. The three most talented midget car drivers he ever saw race. Okay. I will ask him that. The three most talented uh, midget race cars in person. Yes. Okay. I know who one is already, so. All right, very good, Larry. We certainly appreciate you uh, joining us. Look forward to chatting next week. Okay, thanks for having me. 
All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about IndyCars at Road America, and not only just the NTT IndyCar series, but we're talking about vintage IndyCars too, which will be making an appearance up at Road America with the vintage IndyCar series. Looking forward to that. And Mike Lashmit joins us next on the Final Inspection Show. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. 